I want you to take a minute and I want you to imagine yourself as a project manager, a general contractor for a building that has uh, a crew that is coming to build that building, that you yourself had been the one who had sat with both the engineers and the architects, the ones who had designed and laid out the plans for that building. But it was your responsibility to give the workers and those who are going to complete this building, it was your responsibility to make sure they did it in the right way. So you have the plans, you have the schematics, you have all the blueprints, you have all the product list, you have everything that you know needs to happen. Why? Because you had talked to the architect, you had been in meetings with him, you had been in meetings with the engineer, you're the ones who knew how to do it. And so you sit down and you give all of that information to the workers and then you're called away. You're called away to go to another building that needs to be built in another place. And while you're gone, another general contractor comes in and says, now, I know that he said or she said this is the way that you're supposed to do it, but I really think they've got it wrong. There's some other things that we need to do to make sure that this building gets built proper. And I know he says he's talked to the architect or she's talked to the engineer, but in fact, I don't know that they really talked to the real architect or completely heard everything from the real engineer. And so I know more information than they know. And so if you just listen to me, then the building will be built correctly. Would you be upset? Or maybe you are getting ready to teach a group of young chefs how to make a curry. And you have been the one who has learned this curry from Mother India, right? She's the one who taught this curry to you. She's the one who knew how to make this curry. And not just buying the curry paste and things from Woolies, but, you know, actually heating up the spices and grinding them out and getting the consistency that you want and the right way to do it. And what you've done is you're teaching it. And you've said, now, I've talked to Mother India. She's the one who's told me how to do this. And she showed me the right ways to do it and the way to layer it so that it tastes just right. And you get called away to another franchise that you need to now go teach them how to do it. And while you're away, someone else comes in and says, I, I know that she said this is the way to do it. But I think if we just add a little bit more of this and take away a little bit of that, and really they're just trying to Americanize this a little bit, so let's not do that. Would you be upset? Well, that's sort of the problem that we come to in this passage. In Galatians 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, what we're seeing is Paul is getting ready to defend himself, and he's getting ready to lay out the foundation for the rest of the book, and really the foundation for all of us. You see, what's taken place is there have been those who have come to these churches in Galatia and who are giving what he calls a different gospel, a gospel that's not really the real gospel. And as a matter of fact, they've accused Paul of not really knowing exactly what he's supposed to be saying. Now, the way that they've done this, if they've said, yes, Jesus saves you, but now you must live like a Jew. You need to be circumcised if you're a male. You need to follow all of the dietary requirements that are required of Jewish people. And if you don't do that, then yes, you aren't really completely, utterly saved. <laughs> and 
And what Paul does here for us is he shows us what the gospel is. He tells them that I'm able to tell you what this gospel is. And then he points out the importance of it for us. So first I want to look at Paul just real quickly telling them why he can say what he's saying to them. Because he's an apostle. Look, in Galatians 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle. An apostle means someone who is sent out, who's chosen by God. But then he wants to build on that even more. And he says, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He wants to make it very clear that, yes, while he has had an encounter with Peter and others, that he is not sent by them, that he is actually sent from God. Now, next week in our sermon, we're going to look at his biography. We're going to see his testimony. Uh, the title next week will be, Can I Get a Witness? Because that's what takes place in these next passages. But just for today, you need to understand what Paul is saying is, I am sent by God. That no man sent me, that nobody gave me this message, that I didn't learn it from somebody else, but I got it from the direct source. The one who is the creator, the one who has constantly been pursuing us in love, the one from, uh, from Genesis 2 that has proclaimed, I will be your God and you will be my people. The one who is about salvation. He's the one who taught me this. So the first thing we recognize that Paul does is he makes himself known as an apostle. That's important for us. It's important for us because we are receiving here in these written words the message of someone who received it directly from God. So we should hold it in honor. We should hold it as the truth. The truth that can transform our true. That can bring it into alliance with what God is about so that we can bring glory and honor for Him. It is of utmost importance for us. So then he tells us what the gospel is. Charles Hodge was the uh, president of Princeton Theological Seminary, Princeton University, and he said this about the gospel. He said, the gospel is so simple that a small children can understand it. And it is so profound that studies by the wisest, wisest theologians will never exhaust its rights. It's so simple for us to gather and grasp, but it is so broad and so immense and so magnificent and beyond us that theologians could spend years upon years upon years trying to write out what it is and never be able to stop. And so when we think of the gospel, we can go, wow, yeah, I would love to be able to grasp it like a child, which is how we should grasp it. But it is often hard for us to hear. So what Paul does for us real quickly is he boils it down to the essential, to what it is. And here's the recipe of the gospel. He tells us, first of all, who this God the Father is, that he is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Then he tells us that it brings grace to us and peace to us from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who what? Gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this evil age. According to our will? No, according to the will of our God and Father. So listen very carefully what he's saying the gospel is. Maybe it's better to talk about what it's not. It's not 
It is not some system of salvation. Some checklist that we need to do. It's not some new way of being righteous or religious. It's not something that is from ourselves. It is something that is from God. He is the one who raises Jesus from the dead. He is the one who empowers it to happen. Jesus is the one who willingly gives himself up for us as a rescue mission. Jesus is here the crucified and resurrected Messiah who in the end is exalted as the Lord of the whole world who is about the business of bringing together a single worldwide family. Over and over again we say that God is in a relentless pursuit of us to redeem us so that we are in right relationship with him, whole relationship with ourself, with others, and with place. That God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That he is building together for himself a new man. Last week we talked about that Galatians will tell us about freedom and unity and worship. And in the gospel we see all of those breaking forth for us. That we are brought together in unity because we are made into a new man, a new woman, built together in Christ Jesus. And so it's God's plan, it's God's calling, it's God's action, it's God's working. It's pretty amazing when you think about this word rescue, right? To deliver us. It's the word rescue. It's used in Acts 7, 34. Let me read that to you. This is Stephen preaching to those around him. It says, I have surely seen, he's talking about what God says to Moses. God said this, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning and I have come down to deliver them and now come, I will send you to Egypt. He refers back to the Exodus story for us which is really the pattern of God's redemptive pursuit that made manifest in Jesus completely in the cross. That it's not just about getting us past the brokenness of our failings, but it is about actually picking us up from bondage and slavery and death and darkness and moving us into light and life and beauty and rest. That this movement, this gospel, is about taking us from a place of we can do nothing to a place of everything has been done and accomplished. That's the gospel. The problem, the problem, is that we really like to see ourselves as our own Savior. We desire, for some reason, a competitive stance with God of self-salvation. And oftentimes it shows itself in the way that it showed itself in this passage for the Judaizers. It's a sense of legalism. Now that legalism can show itself in a couple of different ways. Pratt, in his commentary on the book of Galatians, lists three. He says, one that it is us working in our own power. 
for our salvation. That we look at our desperate need and we think, if I do the work that I need to do, then I can get myself right. It's about getting right, not about getting saved. <laughs> and so who sets up the parameters of what right is in that circumstance? We do. <laughs> we say, this must be what's right, most likely because I can accomplish it in my own power. <laughs> the second way that legalism shows itself is this, working according to our own rules. See, it's my own power, and then it's my own rules. But if it's my rules, then it needs to be everybody's rules. Because if somebody else have other rules than the rules that I have, then I might be wrong in my rules. So I better make sure that their rules are my rules, and my rules are their rules. It's a little bit of a tongue twister there. That's why it's hard to do. Because we're constantly evaluating ourselves against other people and the rules that they hold. And then the last one is this deep belief and desire that says, I need to do something to earn God's favor. That God just might not be okay with me. And in that posture, then we never have a certainty that something has happened. Because we always feel like it's contingent on us. And when it's contingent on us, when we're brutally honest, we know we fail. We know that we can't keep any law that we set for ourselves all the way through. We know that in our own efforts, we can't accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes we have pantries that need to be cleaned out, and we say, I'm going to do that today, and it doesn't get done. And I say, I'm going to do it tomorrow, and it doesn't get done. And I say, I'm going to do it next week, and it doesn't get done. We have a hard time following through even with the smallest commitments that we make. To ourselves. And so it is through Christ. But here's the thing, it's no accident. This is not something that just happened cosmically and how great and lucky we are. This is something that God proposed and knew about since the foundation of the world, knowing that he was going to move in that way. And isn't it glorious to hear that in the end, it's not up to me. That it's been accomplished and done. But here's the crazy thing. The gospel, listen, the gospel can never be destroyed. It can't be destroyed. But in our hearts, its usefulness can be distracted and it can be hurt because we want to add things or we want to subtract things or we want to substitute things in the place of the gospel. We think that we need to do something and so we add or subtract or substitute. Luther loved the book of Galatians almost as much as the book of Romans. And Martin Luther wrote this in his introduction to the book of Galatians. He says, There is no middle ground between Christian righteousness and work righteousness. There is no other alternative to Christian righteousness but works righteousness. If you do not build your confidence on the work of Christ, then you must build your confidence on your own work. That's what Paul is saying here in Galatians, the sixth chapter. He says, I'm so astounded or astonished that you have quickly deserted him who has called you by, in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Catch this, not that there is another one. 
He's saying there's only two options. Either the gospel has comfortably confronted you, come in and undone you, and allowed you to have grasp of it, or you're still operating in a self-gospel. One that says, I need to do something in order to be saved. There's something I need to add to this in order to be moved in the right place with God. What is this present evil age that we've been taken from, that the gospel has removed us from? It says he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. I believe this present evil age looks like a desire of uniformity. I think that what this present evil age is, is thinking that if we get everybody to be exactly the same, then everything will be perfect. Interestingly enough, it's that idea of let's build a tower to reach to heaven. Everybody on board? Yes. Let's get everybody on board. We're all for the same goal. We're all moving in the same direction. Let This present evil age desires for us to lose our particularness that we have in the created order by God in order to be just like everyone else. The problem is everyone has a different idea of what everybody else needs to be like. And God says, no, I call you to who you are called to be in your particularness to be part of the whole. Some would say that this present evil age has, is talking about just sin, big sin, large sin, the thing that overcomes us. Some says that it won't be, we won't be completely moved from this present evil age until the end of time when Jesus comes back. Both of those are probably true. <laughs> but the reality for us today is to recognize that the evil age that we live in is one that desires for us to all be exactly alike but not have unity, to submit to some greater knowledge. I'm not a huge Star Trek fan, but I do know about the Borg. You can go look it up online or go seek out Star Trek. The Borg is this giant, big sort of thing that everybody thinks and acts, and you get assimilated into it. That's, that's this present evil age. We want to assimilate everybody in to the way that we're thinking, the way that we are. And oftentimes, church, we sometimes operate that same way. We'll look out among even ourselves and say, I'm not sure that they're really, really, really close to Jesus because they don't do this the way that I do. Because we think assimilation is what God calls us to, but it's not. What he's called us to is unity in Christ. Unity in Christ where we say, which has been said for years within the churches of Christ, that in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity or love. The essentials are the gospel and only the gospel. And just like a glass of water that is pure and great to drink, when you put just a bit of poison in it, it is no longer good for consumption. It's no longer pure water. We would never want to drink that again. 
God moves us to a place out of the evil age into his glorious wonder. And he tells us, Paul does here, that we must be on guard because we will in our hearts want to change the gospel. He warns us even more so in chapter in verse 10 where he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be the servant of Christ. Our hearts long for the approval of those who we see. The gospel says, see Christ's approval. God approves of you through him. On July 17th in 1981, at a Hyatt Regency hotel in Kansas City, a walkway that was suspended in the second level came crashing down, killing over 114 individuals. It made a huge impact on my life because just the year before I had sat in that Hyatt Regency. I knew that Hyatt Regency. I had been on that walkway. I had had this great big giant ice cream dish called the Humongous, which was awesome. And so in July 17th, 1981, when I was but 10 years old, I heard the news of this happening. I recognized how tragic it was, even as a 10-year-old. But I couldn't believe that this walkway that I had been on had collapsed and fallen. It shouldn't have done that. It seemed so strong when I jumped up and down on it. In the investigation, what they found was that the engineer who had designed it had said, I need the support system to have these beams that go this way and a bar that goes all the way from the second floor holding it up to the fourth floor. But on the site, when they were constructing it, the engineer there said, that's just too difficult. So we'll do a beam coming down from the fourth floor ceiling holding up that floor and then we'll do a beam coming down this way holding up this floor. In essence, making the load less than 60% what it should have been. You see, the person on the field said, that's just too hard. We, we can't do it that way, so we need to change the plan. We need to change the way it is. And in doing so, it cost 114 people their lives. When we hear the gospel, that it's the free gift of God to us. When we hear the gospel, that there's nothing that I need to do to be saved. Let's be honest. That seems too hard. We think that's impossible. That can't possibly be the real plan. And so we change it. And what Paul is saying here is by changing it, you run the risk of losing it all. As a matter of fact, it's not the gospel anymore. And so we, as we walk through this book of Galatians, will continue to hear and see that the gospel is God's free gift, his loving pursuit of us, that we move into the place of acceptance by him, not by anything we've done, but by what Christ Jesus has done for us. 
that he has returned us to a place of whole relationship with him, with ourselves, with others, and with place. And in doing that, it causes us to move out and live in miraculous, wonderful, servant-filled, worshipful lives. Where do we see that? To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. The foundation is this. Christ is the crucified, resurrected Messiah who is exalted as the Lord of the whole world and his mission is to build a single worldwide family for God's glory. Let's pray. Jesus, you are holy and mighty and true. You are worthy of our praise and our glory. It is because of you and your work on the cross, your obedience in this life, that we are saved. It is because of your willingness to stand in a place of suffering that we are saved. And we are not just saved, we are brought in to wholeness and completeness. We are rescued by you. Father, hold us. If these words be your words today that have been spoken, let them take root in our lives. And if they are not your words, dear Lord, please let them burn up and go away. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.